Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us because that's what we're going to do for 30 minutes is answer questions just as quickly as we can. Phone number and website are on the screen that's how you give us questions, and that's what we'll put in the stack and work off of and uh, see if we can help you know your Bible a little bit better. So anything you've got on your mind, uh, maybe something we say today will stir a question in your mind. You won't understand something. Grab that phone or log on, tell us to explain something further, and we'll give it a shot. We want you to know your Bible better. Helping me answer questions is my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here today. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're ready to answer questions uh, that you've given us in the past few weeks. So let's uh, get one for you first. We always give our viewers one question. What skill was Dorcas known for? A lady named Dorcas in the New Testament, also known as Tabitha. Uh, she was known for some special skill, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. If you don't know it, we'll let you learn that little bit of Bible. Toby, looks like you drew number one here, so tell us about Satan. Okay, Hero <laughs> wants to know that very thing. How did Satan take the form of a serpent, and what is his usual form? Well, how that happens is a little bit challenging for me to explain. See, I'm a physical being, and we're talking about spiritual beings. But you're exactly right. Uh, Satan did take uh, the form of a serpent, as uh, is rather well-known from Genesis chapter 3. And uh, that picture seems to be uh, one that holds from the beginning to the end of, of the, the Bible tale. Uh, how that worked, my assumption is that he just appeared as a serpent and he took that form uh, so that he could interact with Adam and Eve in the created world as created beings. Why he chose that form and why uh, that particular route, I do not know, but uh, the scripture is clear that he did. Uh, I personally, uh, my my shields would go up if I saw talking serpents. Uh, I probably wouldn't listen much to them, but uh, but that's what the account says out of Genesis, and the scripture is clear uh, that all the way through. In fact, the scripture that we'll look at on the screen, uh, Revelation, the Apostle John referred to him as the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world. Astray, and see, Satan's spiritual, and I know people get locked into interpreting Revelation literally, but uh, we need to keep in mind it's a book of prophecy, and that the, 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 the idea, the picture of uh, Satan as a ancient serpent, uh, uh, the great dragon, uh, was the picture of the form that he took all the way in the beginning. Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven verse fourteen says Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, so he. He's been able to take whatever form is necessary and helpful to his purpose.
purposes, I think, would probably be the, the best way of saying it. Um, I always cringe a little bit when I see pictures of the devil as a, a red horn with a tail and a, a trident in his hand, and, and uh, because that's kind of the, what we would expect. But Satan is much more clever than that. He'll take on any form uh, that helps him uh, to deceive, to lie, and to steal us away from our Father. And that's his goal. So uh, how he took that form, don't know his usual form. It's whatever helps him do what uh, he's been trying to do from the beginning. I hope that uh, helps a little bit. All righty. Question about uh, alcohol. Viewer wants to know, is it acceptable to drink alcohol or wine? Is it acceptable? All right. That word acceptable lets me answer it two ways. I'm going to give you two answers. Uh, first one is yes, it's acceptable to drink alcohol or wine. First Timothy 5.23 is a pretty good verse. Paul told Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. All right. So Timothy had some kind of stomach problems. Uh, the water in those days was kind of risky, so Paul says, don't quit drinking just water. Drink a little wine to help your stomach. So, obviously, the answer is yes. It's uh, acceptable to drink wine or some alcohol because Paul told Timothy to. Also, because Jesus drank wine. People in those days drank wine, so it's acceptable. Uh, you won't go to hell for taking a sip of an alcoholic beverage. Um, if that's true, then you can't take NyQuil before you go to bed. It's got alcohol in it. So uh, is it acceptable? My answer is yes. Now, I told you I'd give you two answers. So my second answer, you can probably guess, my second answer is no. It's not acceptable to drink alcohol or wine. And here's why. The Bible warns that it's very dangerous. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, the proverb writer of Proverbs said, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So the Bible also says, although drinking wine is acceptable and even presented as a joy in some ways, it also warns that it's very dangerous and it's deceptive and you're foolish if you drink alcohol or wine, uh, because it's dangerous. So, uh, obviously, drunkenness is condemned. That's a sin uh, completely. Uh, but drinking some wine or alcohol, which I already said was acceptable, the Bible says is dangerous. Be very careful about it. So, there's my yes and no. Now, obviously, there's a lot of room in between. People are going to ask, well, where do you draw the line? Uh, do you want just pure no or pure yes? And the answer in between is determined by a lot of things. For instance, the culture that we live in. Uh, is drinking wine acceptable in a culture? Well, in America, uh, generally it's acceptable. But think about it. People still uh, look up to or admire someone who doesn't drink. Uh, someone's describing a really good person, what do they say? They say, he doesn't smoke or drink or cuss or anything. Okay, So we've still got that standard that abstinence is righteous in some way. Uh, our influence is another thing that helps us decide between the yes or the no. 
people watch us, that we have an influence, uh, we could cause somebody to stumble, the Bible talks about. Someone that has a problem with alcohol, that has been deceived by a strong drink, as the proverb said. Uh, if they see us as Christians drinking alcohol, they may think, well, I can do that and get deceived and back into trouble again. So there's a lot of things a Christian has to consider between the yes and the pure no on that. Uh, to myself, I believe that in this culture and uh, the th- number of people that have problems with alcohol and all that, uh, the very best position for a Christian is abstinence. Uh, I think that's best. But the Bible says presents both pictures that it's acceptable but it's very dangerous. Uh, certainly drinking too drunkenness is a sin, but in between, Christians have to decide, and I hope what I've shared with you helps you make that decision. All right. A viewer would like to know about what did Jesus mean about the servant who said, I have done all that is required of me, but have not received a thing. Okay, well, I think you're referring to a story told in Luke chapter 17, where uh, Jesus is describing the duty, the requirements of a servant, the expectations. Uh, Let's look at that on the screen, Luke chapter 17, 7 through 10 together. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once, recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, will you you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done What was our duty? Well, the point of the parable is that uh, a servant really doesn't expect any special reward and acknowledgement every time they do something uh, for something that was required all along. Um, Think about this. I mean, as as maybe a more modern example, you have a job that you go to, you have a job description, certain expectations, tasks that are expected of you. Uh, do your coworkers get around and applaud you every time you do a great job, every single time you do your uh, what's expected of you? No, of course not. Does your boss give you an award and a plaque every single time you clock in on time and, and do what's expected and have a good attitude? No, I mean, that, that would be kind of silly. Uh, with children, as parents, you have expectations of them. Maybe they have chores that they have to do. Uh, and then, of course, maybe in the beginning you encourage them, you tell them that's a good job. But after a while, uh, they understand they have to brush their teeth and make their bed and pick up their room, and that they don't expect nor should they to be applauded for every single thing that's done. It's just part of being a member of the family. Well, it's the same with us in Christ. Uh, We have expectations. Jesus told us that following him, there would be a cost. Uh, We can't expect as servants, as followers of him, uh, that we are uh, applauded and and, uh, receive accolades every time we do that which the Lord requires. So as followers of Jesus, we are to be servants of Jesus. And we have some basic expectations uh, that obedience is not awarded or applauded every single time 
we uh, obey. It's simply an expectation. And uh, maybe that's a good lesson for us as disciples, that obedience is expected. And if we do that, we'll be blessed, of course, in the long run. Uh, but we, in the immediate, we just do what's expected. We trust the Lord, and He'll take care of us. I, I hope that helps explain it a little bit. Well, thank you, Toby. We've got a time to study the Bible each week with us here on Know Your Bible. And in 30 minutes, we answer a few questions, and hopefully you'll learn a little bit about your Bible. Uh, but you'll also know that we advocate home Bible study and think the Bible's pretty important. We ought to spend some time in it as his people or somebody that's just seeking answers. So the answers are in the Bible. And we know a lot of our viewers are good at that. Some of our viewers haven't started Bible study, uh, don't have a regular habit of that, and we'd like to help with that. We've got some Bible study tools that we're happy to share, and they come to you absolutely free of charge. Here's one set of lessons that is just a real basic overview. It's not any church doctrine or anything like that. It's just a good Bible study that helps you understand some of the main topics of the Bible. And then we've got some more advanced courses that take you into a complete study of the life of Jesus and the history of the Bible and uh, the history of the church and all kinds of interesting things to learn about the Bible. All of those are absolutely free of charge. The phone number, website on the screen, let us know you'd like to start a Bible study and we'll get you started. Uh, we know some people don't uh, like to do paperwork and fill out questions and all that. Uh, so we've got some online studies that are a great way to study the Bible, too. Uh, just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and uh, we'll get you started on some online studies uh, that you can do anywhere you are, anytime you want, and uh, learn a lot about the Bible. So those are the options we've got, and we're happy to provide those. No charge to you. We even pay the postage on the ones that come in the mail. Uh, so all you got to do is invest a little bit of time. A little bit of effort, and you'll learn a lot about your Bible. So log on or use the phone number, let us know, and we'll get you started. All right, uh, interesting question here. If you wants to know, will Jesus be at the judgment to plead our case? Uh, well, there's a couple of verses that certainly indicate that as one way to look at it. So let's look at them. First John chapter 2, uh, 1 to 2. John says, if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So yes, he is our advocate, and Satan is called our accuser, by the way. So that's the other uh, lawyer in the case. And then 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So there's another picture of Jesus as the mediator between us. So yes, he's presented as our advocate with the Father <coughs> when we sin. Now, the picture that our viewer asked about, will he be at the judgment to argue our case, to defend us against the accuser, Satan? And I think the answer to that is yes in one sense, but I don't think it's going to be like a Perry Mason operation. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a big lengthy trial for each of us with Satan listing all the bad things we ever did and then Jesus advocating for us and saying, no, he's a good guy and here's why. Uh, I don't think it's going to take very long at all. I think Jesus is going to say, this one's mine 
and it's over. <laughs> when Jesus says, this one belongs to me, uh, he advocates for us, and we will be judged righteous in God's sight. So I don't picture it being a huge, long jury trial in any sense. Uh, just being in Jesus is going to assure us that we have an advocate with the Father. So a little different than our viewer pictured maybe, but yes, he is pictured as our advocate. He defends us against Satan in lots of ways. But uh, at the judgment, perhaps it will happen that way some way. All right, Toby. A viewer asks, why did Jesus not allow Mary to touch him after his resurrection? Well, let's look at the scripture. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. Um, in some translations, the word there, what here in the English standard is called cling, uh, in some translations is touch. Well, I, I like the word cling because it conveys the idea better. I think the original word meant to cling, to hold on to. Uh, she was embracing and gripping him. Remember, she had just watched him be crucified. She considered him to be dead, and now here he was living again. I mean, you imagine how if someone that you loved for very much had died and you miraculously saw them alive again, I mean, what would what would that first grip be like? What would that first embrace be like? I mean, there would be a, a, a grip, a clingness to it. Now, that's a very natural human reaction uh, that, that any of us can understand. Uh, Mary, as soon as she saw her beloved rabbi, she clung to him. And, in fact, Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, says that the other women also did this, that they grasp, they clasp his feet, and they worshipped him. I mean, there was a, a love for Jesus, and now seeing him uh, alive again it sparked something within them that desired to be close to him and to not lose him as they had watched him be lost, or so they thought, the, the few days prior. Um, it was not, my, my answer to that is, it was not Jesus' plan to stay in the world. And as she grips him and clasps him, he's saying, my interpretation of this is you know there will be mary that's there's plenty of time for this but i i still have a job to do we have to tell the rest of the disciples we've got to make it known that i've conquered sin and death uh, that i'm alive again and this message of the good news of the gospel has to go out and so the time for clinging and clasping and grasping uh i understand that you want to do that but we still got a job to do. We're still on mission here. Uh, his plan was not to stay in the world always. His plan, uh, his resurrection, uh, would eventually be fulfilled as he ascended back to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God. So uh, I think he's saying there's more to the story, more people need to know about the story, and uh, there will be plenty of time for, for what you want to do in eternity. But uh, that's my interpretation of it. Uh, they, they certainly could be understood in that reaction. All righty. A little history question here. See if you know your timelines. How long ago were Adam and Eve created? And when was the flood? Well, that's a good question. A lot of people wonder about that. And 
if you read the Bible very much, especially if you start in the first few books, you'll notice there's lots of chapters that just have lists of people that say Adam lived so many years and then he had a son and then he lived this long and died. And then Noah had a son at this age and then died and goes through and it gives all those dates. And if you think about it, well, if you added all of those up, you ought to be able to figure out when Adam and Eve were created and when the flood was, maybe. Well, somebody did that. So let's look at his results. A fellow named Bishop James Usher, uh, back in 1650 A.D., spent a lot of time going through the Bible and adding up all those lists. And here's what he calculated. He calculated that creation happened on October 23rd, 4004 B.C., I'm not sure how he got the date down to the specific date, but that's what he calculated. And he said the flood was in 2349 B.C. So 1,600 years or so after creation, uh, God destroyed the world in the flood. And then Jesus, of course, was born in 1 A.D. or 0 B.C., which there wasn't a 0 B.C. Uh, So that's what Bishop Usher figured out. Now, let me qualify that. Uh, The Bible record is not necessarily complete. Uh, We know that in some of the genealogies it leaves somebody out, it skips a few generations maybe, and we don't know all the details about how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before they sinned. Uh, It sounds like immediately, but we aren't told that. So there's some gaps that make Bishop Usher's calculations problematic. Uh, I would not stick everything I've got on October 23rd, 4004 B.C. Uh, He may be close. He may be way off. I don't know. But that's the only answer I can give you because other than that, uh, we don't have recorded history that says exactly when everything happened. Uh, So I gave you Bishop Usher's best calculation. Uh, If you want to go with that or think that's close, that's fine. Uh, If you think he's way off, that's fine too. Uh, I don't think any of that will be on the entrance exam uh, when we get to heaven. So it's interesting, but we just don't know for sure. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. Uh, Churches of Christ provide this program for you, and we're thankful for many of them that support us. Today I'd like to mention some of the ones up in South Dakota, one of our newer markets, broadcast from Sioux Falls, and uh, folks in Mitchell, and Watertown, and Brookings will have their uh, addresses there. Uh, Look up one of those if you live near Mitchell, or Watertown, or Brookings. Uh, You've got folks there that think and study the Bible a lot like we do on Know Your Bible. I know they'd warmly welcome you. They're great folks and uh, are always happy to help people know their Bible. So if you live in that area of South Dakota, visit one of them. Maybe you know somebody that attends the the Mitchell Church of Christ or Watertown or Brookings. Uh, Tell them, hey, I was watching Know Your Bible the other day and saw that you helped provide that. We appreciate that. It's a good program. So we thank them and you add your thanks to ours. Uh, whatever market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Drop in and visit them sometime. You'd be warmly welcomed. Toby, 
I told them when the earth was created, you got another timeline here. Got all sorts of date questions here. When did Jesus die is the question from our viewer. And my answer to that is right around uh, the year 33. Now, your question to that might be, well, how do we know? What verse says uh, the Lord was, of course, that, uh, the calendar that we use and how the, it's all been centered around Jesus had not been, had not uh, been devised yet. So uh, we have to use some Bible references, and we also have to know a little bit of history and learn some historical references. The first, I'm going to give you two uh, things to look at uh, from the Bible, and then a couple things from history. Number one, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, says that John the Baptist began his ministry in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And when you look at history, Roman historians uh, date Tiberius's reign starting at about A.D. 14, uh, which means the 15th year would be about A.D. 29. Uh, so that's the first one, Luke chapter 3 and Tiberius and looking at the history of that. The second is John chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, they state this temple was completed 46 years ago, uh, the renovation. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, <clears throat> put the dating of that renovation of the temple at 18 or 17 B.C., roughly. And so when you add 46 years to 1817 A.D., you get right around A.D. 29. Uh, when you consider that there's not a year zero, of course. So uh, using those two things, we can do the math it, right around 33 A.D. And of course, that's uh, uh, we always think of it as um, you know the calendar is based upon when Jesus was born, and it may have been off a year or two in there, but it's going to be pretty close. Uh, and so using those Bible references and those historical references, uh, that's when we think Jesus died. Hope that helps. Alrighty, uh, viewer wants to know about uh, the the sun standing still story in the Old Testament. Joshua ten, did the sun really stand still? Well, Joshua ten says that the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. So for a battle. Joshua asked God to give them some more daylight, and God stopped the sun. Now, some people say, that really happened? Well, there's an old bumper sticker I'm reminded of. It says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Actually, that middle part is unnecessary. If God said it, that settles it. doesn't matter whether I believe it or not, and that's true of this. God said the sun stood still, uh, so that settles it. Uh, and it's silly to argue about it. Some people say, well, how did he do that? How did he not mess up all of the universe and timing and all that? God created all of it. If he wanted to stop it for 24 hours, he can stop it for 24 hours. The Bible says he did it, so uh, I believe it in addition to that settling it. Um, and 
that settles it. Sun did stand still for a day. All right, we're out of time for today, but we want to get our trivia question answered for you. And it was about a lady named Dorcas, also called Tabitha. What was she known for? Uh, she was a seamstress. Uh, when she died, a lot of people showed up, and the women of the town showed up and uh, were showing what she had made for them. She was evidently a very benevolent woman and a good woman and made clothing for a lot of people. And she was raised from the dead in that story. So that's who Dorcas was, or also known as Tabitha. We're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week and try to answer some more questions for you. Uh, we hope you can get back then and uh, find out the answers. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.